0: Welcome back. Friday, July 7th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I've got Bill to my right. I've got David R- Dahl right in front of me in our producer's chair. The phone number is 602 602 We live in a time of garrulousness, and we may be forgiven for thinking it's funny or a joke, but it's not. The story now from a talk given just a week ago at an Essence magazine conference in New Orleans, is that Vice President Kamala Harris said the following to her audience, Quote, Culture is, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment, and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment. That is a reflection of joy, because you know it comes in the morning— We have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way too. Now, the first thing is while her talk at the Essence Magazine conference is posted on the White House website, this set of lines is scrubbed from the transcript. It's weird. It's just weird. But she said it. Here's the audio, David. Well, I think culture is it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And 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 present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And And we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment. That is a reflection of joy because, you know, it comes in the morning.
1: (laughs) We have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of
0: just having language and, and, and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way, too. The only thing I I understood was where she said we have to have language. You bet we do. Now, if you're like me, my mind raced to what Olson Johnson said after Gabby Johnson's speech in Blazing Saddles. He said, now, who can argue with that? I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children were here today to hear that speech. Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. Close quote, And, of course, the joke there was who could argue with, at best, what Shakespeare might have called airy abstraction, if Shakespeare even belongs in the same monologue as this car crash of language from the vice president. But is, isn't that the point of what's going on here? We hear, or too many hear these things and nod and applaud as if in the grip of some exquisite ritual that turns out to be actually essential meaninglessness. When what we, what the world craves is, as Theseus put it in Midsummer's Night's Dream, someone to give airy nothing a local habitation and a name, not to give a local habitation and a name erring nothing, something to actually believe in and argue and vote for, that yes, perforce does invite thought or argument or disagreement, I worry about a movement dressed up as political party and platform that sounds like this prairie gibberish that used to be a laugh line but has now been elevated to some form of eloquent greatness, like a Michelle Obama self-help book. I couldn't resist. How does she put it in her book, The Light We Carry? Quote, to mix our differentness with togetherness, where in knitting, when you create the first stitch of a new object, you cast on. When an item is finished, you bind it. Both of these actions I found incredibly satisfying, the bookends of something manageable and finite. They give me a sense of completion in a world that will always and forever feel chaotic and incomplete. Anytime your circumstances start to feel all consuming, I suggest you try going in the other direction toward the small. Close quote. But we live in a time of authentic frontier gibberish, folks, and we pass it off as better and more enlightened than the Lincoln-Douglas debates. But these are really just societal misdemeanors, perhaps just signs of the failing index of linguistic and rhetorical content. Meanwhile, it was where this all took place with Kamala Harris. This was all wrapped into a much larger societal felony, after all. For the real story is that Kamala Harris delivered herself and her credibility and this talk at a festival, the Essence magazine festival, where the following took place. Reading from Fox News, R&B singer and actor Jill Scott blasted America by changing the words of the national anthem into claiming it is an oppressor state during a live performance on stage. Jill Scott was performing on the second day of the Essence Festival on the perceived systemic racism in America, saying the country, quote, is not the land of the free, close quote. Essence, a lifestyle magazine that hosts the festival, commented, quote, everyone please rise for the only national anthem we will be recognizing from this day forward. Jill Scott, we thank you, close quote. The only national anthem we will be recognizing from this day forward, meaning that's where our vice president spoke. And remember, this is three days before the 4th of July, three days before the 4th of July. Here are the lyrics from this national anthem of Essence magazines and Jill Scott's where Kamala Harris spoke. I quote, Oh, say can you see by the blood in the streets that this place doesn't smile on you colored child whose blood built this land with sweat and their hands, but will die in this place and your memory erased. Or say, does this truth hold any weight? This is not the land of the free, but the home of the slaves. Close quote. Three days before 4th of July. Conference Kamala Harris speaks at. Now Jill Scott has previously said in interviews that she has considered leaving America due to the racial climate here. And this is the conference the United States Vice President spoke at. I would like some member of the press to ask the Vice President if she knew she was speaking at a conference where this was the national anthem. And if she did know, does she agree with those lyrics and the replacement of them for the official national anthem? If she did know in advance, I would like her to be asked if she agrees with the lyrics. Even if she didn't know, in either event... We have a right to know if our vice president thinks it okay to replace the national anthem with a hate and resentment filled national anthem, denying we are the land of the free and stating we are the home of the slaves with the idea of America, the memory of America, as the lyrics go, to be erased. Sung at a major conference three days before the 4th of July. Does Jill Scott, like Kamala Harris, believe the Confederacy won the Civil War? Do they know that their constant refrains tying all of America to slavery is an assault on history and an insult to those who lost their lives fighting against it? Do they know that the majority of the country was not slaveholding and the majority of the country was on the side of the Union that went to war against something called the Confederacy and that the Confederacy was the vast minority, minority of states and population and actually lost the war? Do they know they are resurrecting the lost cause justification of the Confederacy as if it prevailed and thinking it did or should have because it represented a truer America than the Union did when the Union prevailed? Does Jill Scott worth an estimated $12 million, understand we cannot understand what she is talking about vis-a-vis systemic-wide unfairness to her, just as we cannot understand Whoopi Goldberg or Sonny Hostin, combined annual earnings of over Jill Scott's entire net worth, when they say people of their race cannot succeed in this country? Is this not a little like if Steven Spielberg were to say Hollywood is a place where Jewish Americans cannot succeed? Or for Rihanna or Kanye West to say the music industry is inhospitable to African-Americans? Or for Sean Hannity to complain that talk radio discriminates against conservative points of view? Is this not all a little like if Hunter Biden were to become the spokesman for criminal justice reform or responsible fatherhood and child support or Harvey Weinstein for women's rights? In other words, what the heck kind of world do Jill Scott and the planners of this event and conference live in? The magazine that hosts this annual event, by the way, was bought out by Time, Time Magazine. And this conference's leading corporate sponsor is Coca-Cola. Does it get more acceptably American than that? Do we think it actually a good strategy to keep trying to condemn our society and remove ourselves and separate and segregate ourselves from it as we complain about being marginalized by it, even as— We have been immeasurably rewarded by it. This is what I don't understand. The door to the house is open. Come on in. You are welcome. You are more than welcome. But they want to take a wrecking ball to the load-bearing beams holding up that very house. The resentment-filled, historically libelous national anthem is the only one that will be sung at the conference hosted by Essence and that Kamala Harris spoke at. Can someone please explain how we can have a nation if we are singing different national anthems, one evidently for whites and one evidently for blacks? But truly, in what sense is it national or an anthem if we have two for two different races in the same country? Isn't that the near definition of a house divided and not one nation under God or anything else? Houses divided against themselves cannot stand. I thought the effort here was to teach and explain that we are all equally Americans, regardless of our race. And people wonder why we are divided, or if we are in any form of a nascent, ideological, or even kinetic civil war right now. A millionaire singer sings about a country, this country, saying that it doesn't smile on her, and she is rewarded and regarded. This is just about as senseless as the meaningless gibberish Kamala Harris spoke, as quoted above. I say just about as senseless because it isn't quite as senseless in that it is actually not devoid of meaning. It is full of meaning, just misleading meaning, bordering on dangerous if, as you would hear it from Joe Biden, divisiveness in this country is indeed dangerous. Where just where is the division coming from, and where just where are the lies coming from, and... Who pays the price for believing those lies? These should be the questions at the next conference on culture our vice president attends. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 We'll be right back. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, Russia, they're conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at Midas GoldGroup.com. That's Midasgoldgroup.com. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike.
1: Yes, good afternoon, Seth. Uh, almost the weekend, almost the weekend. Almost
0: there, brother, yep.
1: You bet. Doing a fine job, Seth, and I really get a kick out of those commercials where you're the uh, transportation secretary and giving <laughs> those information. <laughs> they're, they're a hoot, oh, that, that
0: credit goes to producer Young David here. fine job he he does all that yeah fine job there we go thanks
1: Uh, I'm calling in response to your uh, your monologue you you were mentioning about this essence concert yeah this conference yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's the, you know, the hijacking of the culture, it seems to me, uh, Ronald Reagan had something about borders, language, and culture about that. And, you know, now they've, they they seize things that are, if I can use the word, sacred to us, things like the national anthem or the symbology. You know, the atheists, they get a hold of the cross and they have it upside down or in a glass of urine or something. They take the rainbow that was promised to us and Genesis and Noah, and then they turn it into a flag. They've got the our Fourth of July, but now it's uh, juxtaposed by the 1619 project. Uh, many years ago, uh, at least back in the 70s, and I'm sure earlier than that, we had a, a pride. We had pride in our work, uh, doing a good job at work. We had pride in our nation. Now that word has been sullied by other things uh, just as a sideline antifa.com still goes to whitehouse.gov and and if you and if we as a group, we, we get tired of this being kicked around and people stealing our culture, hijacking it, and we go to the January 6th protest or the parents go into the school board, uh, they're called terrorists and they're arrested and rounded up. It's a dampening effect, kind of like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when the Ted Cruz was uh, questioning that assistant director, Abate, and he absolutely just refused to answer the questions. And I think that this uh, distraction with this cocaine in the White House, you know, not since Bill Clinton was there, I noticed that nobody seems to want to talk about that. But uh, but no, another thing that they don't want to talk about is I understand the Mexican Navy intercepted 7,000 pounds off of the coast of Mexico with just in the last couple of days. But everybody wants to talk about a little baggie in the White House and speculate And kind of to wrap it up, wrapping all these things together, you had a caller a couple of weeks ago, it might have been a Doug in Glendale, I'm not sure, and he had suggested you talk about it on your monologue, kind of along the lines of resistance or so, and you know, and I understand that, that sometimes it's, you know, whoever fires the first shot usually loses, but I put forward that what happens on the other side of the coin what if we're pushed what if it's pushed onto us and we have no option but to resist now of course president biden wants to mumble something about f-15s but i remind you that neither did the taliban or al-qaeda over to you seth
0: Neither did the Taliban or al-Qaeda. What? I just missed that last point. I I followed everything you said up until that point. Help me out with that
1: one. Well when when, peop- when people are talking about resistance, then President Biden wants to make some comments about, well, we don't have any F-15s to uh-huh. you know carry out uh-huh. some type of resistance, but neither did the Taliban or al Qaeda and they had resistance and I'm not making: Oh, I see what no, answer. I think I
0: follow your point. your point being the Taliban could beat us without F-15s.
1: Correct. Got it.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, there was an awful lot there. So eloquent, Mike. So eloquent. Um, we 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 do have to let me. There's two things I want to address, and I'll let you respond. It's so heavy. I, I just. I think I should save it for the next break because we're up against a for the next segment because we're up against a break but let me just set the two things i want to i want to respond on the f15 point i do want to explore with you for a moment i i think it it is worth a moment's discussion but the other issue about the dangerousness of hijacking the culture because i think there's another danger going on here too and i want to expand on that with you when we come back about what these kinds of conferences and what these kinds of winks and nods and salutes to the kind of crud and junk thought that comes out of them means to young people, what it means to an entire population that was so integrated so well into society up until a few years ago that has now been marginalized and self-marginalizing more and more, and what it means to give fuel to that marginalization. It's something more than hijacking. It's an injection of toxicity. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Mike in Maricopa, are you still with us?
1: Yes, I am, sir.
0: You laid out a very uh, eloquent um, case of how the culture is being hijacked, and I you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'd probably, I think I'd add our culture and our politics being hijacked. And um, let's say a few things about what you said, and then I'll let you respond as well. It's something more than hijacking. and in, in, in a sense, it's worse. Um, it's an injection when you hear the kinds of crud that come out of these conferences that the vice president gives her credibility to or the office of the vice presidency's credibility to, it's an injection of toxicity to our youth and to members of that minority for whom the conference was put on. It's an invitation to not just apathy about this country, but despair and its own form of resistance. It says there's nothing about this country for you here. And that leads, of course, to resistance of its own kind. We've seen it in resistance not only to law enforcement but to the country. I mean, when you are told from a young age that cops are out to kill you and that cops are your enemy— Are we surprised that when someone might be pulled over, their first instinct is to resist or run? I mean, there is something very noxious going on about continually feeding this narrative that is untrue. It's an injection of falsehoods that lead to further and further marginalization. Who are these multimillionaires to tell young black children you can't make it in this country? Who are they? What right do they have to do that to them and us and themselves? What right do they have to do that? It's 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 a it's a um, it's a form of abuse, cultural abuse, more than hijacking in a sense. When I do raise these issues, Mike, um, and point them out as so antithetical to our civilizational, if not constitutional norms, it's not because I believe that the um that the veil has been permanently torn it's that i want people to i want people to absorb and assimilate these thoughts in thinking about how they should vote and what this party is doing to this country it's to highlight the egregiousness for the purposes of what i still think holds true which is a political solution which is getting to your point about resistance on our side we just came back from a monumental we are ending a monumental week of success on some serious cultural political issues having to do with race race preferences having to do with the censorship of free speech by virtue and thanks to our judiciary I don't think all is lost or anywhere near all is lost yet, Mike, when I contemplate that there are three branches of government and we possess one of them in Toto, the judiciary, and half of the other in the House of Representatives. So I, I, I don't think all is lost. One might say we don't have the executive and we don't have half the legislature. We might say this is about a 50-50 proposition right now. Last thing before I turn it back to you is the F-15 argument. I mean, I don't know how to put it in terms of the Taliban. This is not a president that wanted – this president wanted to get out of Afghanistan at any cost and was willing to lie to us about doing so. And I think would have no hesitation using the 101st Airborne against a militant resistance against Washington, D.C., especially when he wants to make a political point about that. And I think that resistance would last about five minutes. But you tell me or take on anything I've said. Actually, you know what? Stay, because I took up the whole segment and we have a longer one coming up and I'll let you respond on the other side of this break if that's okay, Mike. I... uh, you gave, you, you gave us a very eloquent presentation. I, I hope I was up to responding to it in the way you you were looking for. Now I'll let you rejoin when we come back on the other side of this break. And others can as well. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Mike and I, Mike and Maricopa and I have been having a uh, little bit of a dialogue back and forth. Mike, uh, it would be impossible to summarize what we've been talking about. I'm hoping people are staying with our thread, but I'll let you respond to what I said, sir, having to do with resistance and the hijacking of the culture. Uh,
1: hello? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Are you there? Yeah, okay, sorry. very good. Mm-hmm. You know, it— Boy, you kind of loaded that donkey up quite full there, Seth I, right? trying to keep track of it. You know, when government exceeds its delegated authority, it must be resisted. The government has two jobs. One is to protect our rights, and the other one is to protect our borders, and they're not doing either of it. Yeah, this is pure subversion. You know you would ask who is doing these things, and I think part of it has to do with the media because they can't seem to get the story straight or they're trying to run some information influence operations you know last week with you mentioned the Supreme Court decision I know about the college admission say on the uh, Asian children they're trying to get into Harvard but The news media, all they did was go on for a week and talk about African-American students. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, African-American students didn't bring the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. But you see, that's an example of how they, they skew the narrative. Yeah, but we won.
0: We won and vindicated the Constitution. We won and vindicated the 14th Amendment. I don't care what the media oh, yes. says. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But that, that's just how they change. Sure, it. of course. Or, like, when somebody like El- Larry Elder comes out and runs for governor of California, and then he's called the black face of white supremacy. Correct, sure, uh, sure, sure. Who are these? These people that you know, of course, they're uh, very successful. The basketball players and the TV stars that are beating these children down, telling them that they have no future and it's somebody else's fault of where they uh, their their position in life, and it's uh, it's those people over there. And it's uh, it reminds me of the same thing that has happened in a lot of these other countries, like in uh, Rwanda with the Hutu and the Tutsi. Of course, and,
0: uh, of course, of course. Of you, you've,
1: you've got a sm- or, or also in Iraq between but the they don't Shia yes, the of spending.
0: course, of course, but none of these places have a constitution or a Supreme Court like ours or elections. Yep. I mean, don't you think don't I mean, I don't know who you're supporting in the primary. feel free to tell me or not, but don't you think that 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 the Biden presidency is so bad that we're poised to win the next election?
1: I would hope
0: so. Okay, so why would you want to think about—why would you want to think about—I mean, we do it by ballots, not bullets here, right? I mean, why would you want to think about any other thing?
1: Well, we did it by bullets a couple hundred years
0: ago. Yes, we did, a couple hundred years ago, against the king, under what was described by Thomas Jefferson as absolute despotism. Do you think we live under absolute despotism? When we have half of Washington, D.C., we have the judiciary and half of the legislative uh, and half of the legislature, the legislative branch. Is that absolute despotism?
1: Well, you know, if we examine the Declaration of Independence in the last half of it, where they go down line by line listing those. And I would say that if if you could imagine like the old stereos back in the 70s, you had the volume knob and the volume went from zero to ten. And each one of those knobs is like it's three on those things that were listed down. We may not be under absolute despotism. Yeah, I, I understand. Though they're, they're certainly sending forth officers to eat out our subsistence, and they're transporting us to uh, uh, serve in— Yeah, okay,
0: you know. but, okay, but the Bill of Particulars in the Declaration of Independence is— descriptive of that moment and that fight. It's the first part that is eternal. The Bill of Particulars was frozen at that moment in history for what was happening vis-a-vis Great Britain. That was the Bill of Indictment or the Bill of Particulars. But it's the first two paragraphs that are what, what are supposed to be final, as Calvin Coolidge put it. That's what we should direct our attention to. So when you take the Bill of Particulars today and the indictment today, do you think we live under absolute despotism? Would you be able to make this phone call to this radio show, and would I be able to have this radio show under absolute despotism? Would the Supreme Court have vindicated the 14th Amendment and ended racial preferences, not to mention the federalization of abortion law a year ago if we lived under absolute despotism? Would we have half the Congress— under absolute no. despotism? Would we have an election we're looking forward to winning under absolute despotism? The conditions for revolution, which is what you're talking about.
1: No, I don't think that we are absolute. Do you think, talk
0: about now. it, do you think talking about it is encouraging to people who aren't sure whether to support our movement in our party or not? Do you think it's a good idea to bring up these ideas?
1: Well, it's like shining lights on cockroaches in Washington, D.C. when they are illuminated for their opprobrious activity that uh,
0: Well, that's what we do. I mean, are. that's what we're here for. We're here to shine those lights, right? We're here to make our own bill of particulars. That was my kind of one of my points, which was when I make these recitations of indictments against the Democratic Party, it's so that people know what to do and what party is on their side and what party isn't. And why they should vote, why they should vote, why they should exercise their right of the ballot, not the bullet.
1: Well, what about the part of uh, they're deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed? You know, they try to pass these laws. They're too uh, over the top. Like the USA Patriot Act And they just set it up on the shelf Until an event happens And then they go, oh look at this We have this legislation just ready to go And everybody goes, yeah Let's go get that Bin Laden guy Let's pass that USA Patriot Act And now many years later After we've wrapped up in Afghanistan And Iraq, all of a sudden We find out that they're using the USA Patriot Act against the American Citizens, which it was really Never supposed to be used for when do we say enough is enough i'm not saying in november time. in november yeah i i agree that's
0: one that's my answer we do it in november we do it by election here governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed you know what that i mean fully means to its full implication mike which you cited When you cite their just powers from the consent of the governed, we give our consent to sometimes be ruled by a party we may not agree with, as we hope they will give us their consent when they lose elections to us. That's how you have a country. That's what consent of the governed means. That's what that means. The government has just power because we have all agreed to the contract, the social contract here, that doesn't ensure we're going to win every election. We're going to lose some, and with better candidates and better arguments, hopefully we'll win some and more than some. That's a good, that, was, that was a good couple, few segments, Mike. Thank you for it. Bless you, sir. Folks, how do you think the economy's going with uh, the volatility of the stock market? Talk of recession, inflation, bank failures, where do you go to invest? Why refi is where you go. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. And it's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off or compound it or whatever you like. And no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this collateralized and secure portfolio from Why refi They're headquartered here locally. They and I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there several times. I can tell you, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. Just great people. When you meet with the team there, you'll see why I say that and why I trust them so much, and you can, too. Why refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or call 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Young David, what is your pin today?
1: I've got Humphrey
0: for senator. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. It's right here on the chest. He was a druggist, I believe, a pharmacist.
1: Uh, Yes, but before he was senator, he was...
0: Well, before he was a senator, I don't know. Let me think a moment. I don't. I don't know.
1: Mayor of Minneapolis. Yeah, he had that keynote address yeah. the
0: nineteen forty eight Democratic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for civil rights, right? Yeah. He was, rights, running, right? yes, yeah. Yes, he he was one of the few. Person. That's right. He was one of the few. De- Good memory. He was one of the f- reminder. He was one of the few Democrats who actually supported Republican civil rights legislation.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the way to put Strong that sentence. Strom Thurmond took his boys and walked out. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's right. That's right. That's right. The Southern so this Democrats is a, this walked this is an down. older one. Definitely. I like it. Yeah. He was known as one of the few happy warriors in politics. People think of Al Smith. They think of Hubert Humphrey. You know, I was spanking the point the other day that there was a—the um, the whole hubbub over the conference at ASU that Prager went to, health, wealth, and happiness. People thought, well, how could that be so offensive? It, it, Happiness—health has been distorted by the left, so of course— You know, that was a problem at ASU. Wealth, obviously, is hated by socialists. But the happiness thing, you you cannot find happy Democrats. It's really hard. To find them, you have to go to the history books or the graveyards for people like Hubert Humphrey or John Kennedy or, I don't know, George McGovern in our life. Well, Humphrey and McGovern were in our lifetime. Al Smith wasn't. No, he wasn't. (laughs) And maybe I should be careful with the word our, huh?
1: (laughs) Are you a fan of Bonanza? No. No, you're not a fan of Bonanza? No. You know who endorsed Humphrey in 1972 when he did not get the nomination? I don't know. Lorne? Lorne Green. That's right. Which I think is the most ironic thing ever. Why? Because he's a Canadian citizen. Or was. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's not the most ironic thing ever. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) Overstatement on your part. I have to find some way to criticize you today. You've been firing on so many great pins. We'll be right back.